Hello and welcome to another Castle Rock Critical episode. We are the podcast dedicated to the retrospective critique of film and TV adaptations of the works of Stephen King. Yay! That's a long sentence. And we are part of the fan critical podcast universe, which is what I'm now going to be calling... I think it works. ...what we do. Um, Today I'm joined by our resident mistress of the page. Make of that what you will, Emma. Hello. And we are discussing Apt Pupil. So this is the 1998 film adaptation of the novella of the same name, which was featured in the 1982 collection of short stories, Different Seasons. Great collection of stories. We talked about it last time. Really enjoy it. So constant listeners will know that we've covered the two other adaptations from this book, Stand By Me, which is an adaptation of The Body, and Shawshank Redemption. So go and listen to them if you haven't yet. And I also highly recommend reading Different Seasons if you're all interested in these films, which as you're listening to this podcast, I can only assume you are. And thank you, Lucy, for for hosting this week. Bit of a change. More than welcome. Yes, I am Lucy. I didn't, I don't introduce myself. (laughs) I feel like I don't need to. need no introductions. Absolutely not. Okay, so film, 1908, Brian Singer is the director. Mm Mm-hmm. Fresh off the uh, usual suspect. Yeah, really fresh off that, wasn't he? This is an interesting Cut. turn. I think this is ne- his, his first film after that. Yeah. Which was critically acclaimed. Um, Emma, what were your thoughts of the film, both as an adaptation of the novella and as a film in its own rights? And Blueberries, would you like to give a description of what the Blueberry Scale means? I absolutely would. So the Blueberry Scale, if for anyone who does not know, if this is your first time, welcome, is very simple. So we rate everything on a scale of zero to five Blueberries. Zero is the worst, five is the best, and there can be no halves because that would be nonsense. Mm-hmm. Never any halves. Never, never. Um... So we, Lucy has read Different Seasons before, um, recommended it to me and I read it obviously because we were doing um, Shawshank Redemption and then just fell in love with the collection. I thought it was fantastic, yeah. really enjoyed it and Apps Pupil surprised me in how much I loved it mm. as a novella, which is essentially what it is. Yes. You know. um, it's not quite a short story, it's not quite a novel, so you I know, know. I just mean, make it awkward. I feel Stephen. like throughout this podcast I'm probably going to refer to it as a book as a novel, as a novella, as a short story. So just bear fine. with us. Something, listeners. the written word, canon, yes. if you will. Yeah, but I, I really, really enjoyed the the written material that this film is based <laughs> you can on. whatever you want. Um, different seasons as a whole, I, I think I gave five out of five blueberries. For yeah. me, this was one of the best in there, if not the best. I think I think the novella gets a solid five. Wow. Be- because it, it surprised me, because it wasn't what I was expecting. And I know that the whole point of different seasons is that it is out of the normal um, or, or kind supernatural of, yeah and it, it's less kind of horror and, and more kind of mundane horror human mm. horror uh, but apt people really just got me and it got to yeah. me I think I found it quite disturbing um, especially some of the stuff that we spoiler warning don't see in the film but mm. I watched the film yesterday and I've never seen it before as a film in its own right I thought it was absolutely fantastic really I really enjoyed it I thought that seeing Ian McKellen in a role like that was something I'd never have anticipated. So Ian, so Ian, so Ian. So Ian, so Ian. A mere um, three years before he betrayed Gandalf. Well, which seems yeah. Mad to me. Which doesn't seem to make any sense. No. It's weird. Um, and I, Brad Renfro was, was really good. There are some things about it, you know, as an adaptation that I didn't really uh, enjoy as much or would have liked to have seen. I think it would have made it a grittier mm. film. Um, but I, th- I think the film's a four out of five. Okay, wow. See, I, I get the impression, Lucy, you don't feel the same. Um, so I think if you look at the film, so directed by Brian Singer, obviously he's a controversial name now, but back then, as we said, just come off of directing Neutral Suspects, which is absolutely fantastic, seminal piece of work. Mm-hmm. We've got Sir Ian McKellen, before he was a Sir Ian, but I will be referring to him throughout as Sir Ian. 
So Ian's Ian's Which Ian. is correct and uh, respectful. Yep, who is, he is a fantastic actor as he shows in this film. Brad Renfro, R.I.P. Did you know he was dead? Yeah, sad times. Oh, yeah. Real sad. I used to love him. This, I mean, it's weird really, the echoes between him and River Phoenix. I was thinking that this afternoon one. actually. Uh, there is something about these adaptations mm. and these, you know, kids of that generation i mean brad renfro i think was 25 when he yeah died that's crazy 2008 so sad yeah so he's he's also very good in this um got some good supporting cast got david schwimmer as mr french yeah. i mean you're not really in it much but you know there are decent actors in this the source material so the novella i think in this collection of short stories it's definitely the most scary the most horror based even though yep. it is as you say based in the real life it's something that's very I mean, the Holocaust is very heightened. That's not that's not an everyday that we have to experience, nope. thankfully. So it's definitely got more horror tropes in it. It's definitely the most disturbing of the novellas in the book. So I th- would have expected more from this because of the solid cast, because of the direction, because of the source material. And I I mean, I will touch on this, I think, when we go through it. Whether if this was made now, whether they'd take more of the source material, which is a lot more disturbing. I think they would. And I was reading a couple of things. Uh, I fell into a Reddit hole today for various reasons hmm. and then thought I'd use it usefully for podcast research. And I was reading a few things around, you know, a couple of people who'd seen it and thought because they'd aged Brad Renfro's character um, a yes. little bit more that it made, they thought that he might end up actually, um, you know, performing as he does in the book. Yeah. I think if you made it, if they remade it now, they would 100% include that. Yeah. And I, and I think they should. And, you know, my, my score there is is kind of pure film enjoyment. It was faithful to a point, And then I think about two thirds of the way through, it, yeah. went, it went on a bit of a kind of silver lining kind of yeah. route I mean, instead I think of the impact faithful. of the source material, which we'll go on to, is, is lost for me, especially in the changing of the ending, which mm. we'll go on to. Um, the novella, I would give four bloobs because I do think it's really strong and it is disturbing. And I've read it so long ago, but there's certain scenes that stayed with me. Yeah. And the uh, the film, you know, I mean, it's not a bad film, but it's just not as good as it could have been. Yeah, and I suppose, do, do you rate it on a standalone, is this a great film, or do you rate it on its faithfulness I to think, the source material? I think you can do both. I mean, Stephen King um, adaptations are notoriously not very good, and it, mm. it doesn't translate well to film or to TV always. But I think this isn't one of the, this is one of the better adaptations most... Oh, God, yeah. Probably. I mean, do you remember the Tommyknockers? Well... Will I ever forget? Um, no. So I think I'd give the film. I think I'd give it three blueberries. I think. I mean, they're still pretty solid scores. We it were, is. It doesn't really deserve less than that. I don't think. So we were recording uh, our Game of Thrones podcast yesterday, and um, somebody gave one of the episodes this season a three, which for Game of Thrones is pretty poor. Yeah, that's low. But in general, three is a pretty solid middle of the three road. Is a good yeah. film. It's not great, but it's, but it's fine. not shit. And it's certainly watchable. So yeah, those are our blueberry scores. So thank you for that and for your insights. As usual with these podcasts, we'll be going through the plot summary of the movie and discussing the book differences. However, again, like these podcasts, as we always do, we will be taking a short break for the advert. Ah. I'm innocent, Red. Just like everybody else here. The house is burning. Hi, Georgie. I'm afraid I have a tendency to turn up the heat. Yes, as as Len always says, yes, it is that time of the podcast where we advertise our wares. We've had a really busy few weeks here at Fan Critical HQ. We've been covering Game of Thrones every week, so 
shout out to everyone that's enjoying that. Yep, the show awesome. and the podcast. Yep. And that's on our other podcast channel, Bastards and Broken Things. We've discussed Avengers Endgame, which is currently breaking all records ever known to man. And I think everyone on the planet now has probably seen it. At least half of them anyway. You'd be surprised. Not a lot of them have. Including, as I saw on Facebook today, Gareth's little brother. Simon. Unbelievable, come Simon. On, come on, man. Calling you out, mate. Yeah direct call out there um and gaz and john have gamely continued with the worst of netflix the podcast series where they plumb the depths of netflix for the worst films they can find watch them and discuss them selflessly so you don't have to and they do that for your entertainment and it is hilarious it is hilarious worth listening to well worth listening to and if you do enjoy listening to us please do rate like and subscribe to our parent podcast fan critical as well as bastards and broken things and castle rock critical you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Not only does it really help boost us in the podcast charts, but it also boosts our egos. Mm, we which love are that. fragile at best. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on social media. So on Twitter, we are at fancriticalpod. On Instagram, we are at fan underscore critical. And you can also email us with any feedback you have at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, yes, we are nearing the end of this everlasting advert. Yep. Yep, we are now running a Patreon. So if you'd like to show your appreciation through financial means and donate a few dollars every month, not only would we all be eternally grateful, you'll also get bonus content such as cast it episodes. Super fun. Yep, where we recast classic TV and films to often horrific effect. Mm -hmm. If you listen back to some of the old ones, if you subscribe. Um, And you'll get a shout out on the podcast of your choosing. And if you pay us enough, We'll let you come on the podcast as a guest. That's amazing. You, you get to choose what we discuss. You can be part of the team for one yes. one episode a month. You How might even cool. end up replacing one or more of us. Who knows? Who I mean, knows? It's up for grabs. Um, we love your input and we would welcome the chance to collaborate with more of you. So you can join up and donate if you so wish at www.patreon.com forward slash fancritical. Now back to the show. Red rum, red rum. In Southern California in 1984, 16-year-old high school student Todd Bowden has been learning about the Holocaust in history class and coincidentally, soon after, discovers that his elderly neighbour, Arthur Denker, is in reality Kurt Dusander. So he's a former, and I'm going to try and say this, so any German listeners, please forgive me for butchering your beautiful language, Sturmenführer. I think that's a pretty good effort, Luce, to be fair. I can see that on the screen. It looks like nonsense to me. (laughs) Sturmbannführer in the SS, who is now a fugitive war criminal hiding from justice. Um, What did you think about this, about him spotting him on the bus? Well, do you know what's it's really weird? Because I thought the opening was actually quite good with all the... Um, it went on for a while, let's be honest. Mm. The first five minutes were just pictures of Nazis. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty... Uh, but, but I thought it, it gave a good grounding. Um, and I, I didn't mind the scene of him spotting him on the bus. I thought it was a bit unbelievable in a way. But it kind of just got it moving. And I think the challenge mm. with a lot of, we've talked about this, a lot of Stephen King adaptations is that you can't be as slow as you can in the source no. material because it just doesn't translate to screen. So I suppose it, it was fine. And it also, I guess, because in the beginning of the film, obviously he's learning about the Holocaust, he takes himself to the library to learn a bit more. And that plants the seed of not only his interest in it, but him recognising... And his obsession. Mm. So, and, you know, Sir, Sir Ian is quite distinctive in look. And uh, I imagine maybe this this Sturmbannführer you know, also was. Sturmbannführer. Um, I think, you know, you're seeing him when he's young in a picture and then seeing him however many, what, so this is 84, so what, 40 years later? Yeah. He's got a good eye on him. 
Todd the boy. Well done, Todd, you creepy little fucker. Oh, good eye for the war criminals. So he spots him on a bus, recognises him from the pictures in the books of uh, the Holocaust that he's been studying, as we said, of, on his own time. He's just decided to go and do that. So he goes to his house on his little bike. And how does he know where he lives? Because he's a neighbour, but he must—he doesn't live that close. Well, I, so correct me if I'm wrong, and I know we're going to talk about this more sort of King Corner stuff, but in the book, doesn't he know him from like seeing him in the neighbourhood? Yeah, I think he's like, that's, yeah, I guess that's another point. He knows who he is, and it's only really when he sees a picture of him and he sees the youth. comparison, doesn't he? Mm, I mean, and I suppose you don't get that as much in the film. No, but it, this bit's weird as fuck. Mm. I mean, it, it's, it it's very weird. true to the story. It's like a, quite a cold open, almost. It's creepy. Mm. He's, I mean, he's a creepy guy. So he basically goes to his house, knocks on his door, says something like, "Oh, I've got your mail. I've got your paper. And he's got like, your newspaper, sir." Yeah, he's like, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, and he basically lays it on him that he knows who he is. And he'll go to the police if he doesn't cooperate. So he starts to blackmail him right, on but, sight. But he blackmails him with, I want to know everything yeah. about Ooh. what you did in the Holocaust. Mm. Which just opens this up, in the same thing in the book, so darkly. Yes. I mean, I understand there's no harm in wanting to know about history and, and things like that. But that's not what he wants to know. No. He wants to know what you don't learn in schools. And you know what? There's a reason why you don't. There is a reason why at that age you don't you don't need to know all the horrific stuff. Now I don't know whether or not you or any of our listeners has ever been to like a concentration camp in one of the concentration camps in Europe. I have not, Lucy, but I know you have. I have been to um, Auschwitz and Dachau in Munich, and it's horrific. And you go because you feel like you need to pay tribute and you need to learn. But after a few minutes of reading the real details, you're sickened. There's only so much I think that as human beings we can take of that, unless we are perversely interested in it exactly. which clearly our, our Todd is and you know what I think you know we're both interested in like true crime like a lot of people are it's very popular at the mm. moment and this is kind of we all have morbid curiosity I mean if you're listening to a Stephen King podcast you've probably got some interest in horror yeah but this just takes it to a completely another level well this is a different kind of horror isn't it these are you know they are atrocities it's on a scale it's, that can't be imagined. It's genocide. Yes. And torture and experimentation and all of these horrendous things. And I think... And to want to go into mm. someone's house that you know has perpetrated that. And you're not going to... I mean, he should be on trial in Israel for this. And yeah. you're going to find out more. Unbelievable. So it sets the scene very well for how creepy he is, Todd, as a character. Mm. So yeah, he goes there, forces him to share disturbing stories of what it was like working in, in the Nazi extermination camps during the war. Now in the novel, this is set in 1974, he first approaches Desander at the age of 12. Yeah, see that is massively different, isn't it? It is. That a 12-year-old is so much creepier it's much worse. than, what is he, 16? He's 16, He's 16. In, in the film. And, and I think you get more, and this is where the source material is so rich, you get more in the book... <clears throat> excuse me you get more in the book of how disturbing his fascination mm. is because of his age and the fact that he's a kid yeah this he's is like what... he's the same age as the boys in the in stand by me in, in the body yeah yeah i suppose i mean that links very nicely to that film and we mentioned when we were watching it that there is still a sense of innocence with them mm. you know with regards to sex with regards to you know seeing the dead body yeah. And in the film and in the book, um, at pupil, that's not the case. No. He's a seriously disturbed young man at the age of 12 to to recognise this guy, to go to his house. Like, what are you doing? 
And that's that's ballsy as fuck as well, isn't it? It is. And knowing, like, it's that, you know what, it's that teenage arrogance, well, he's not even a teenager, of thinking you're in, invincible mm. and you can do whatever you want. Ugh. So, yeah, I mean, I think the reason that he's so young in the book as well is that it does span a longer period of time. It spans four years. So he ends up 16. Mm. But, yeah, we see him. This I think the film's only over a year. Because it shows him graduating. Just over, yeah. I think a year, year and a half. Because I think at one point they, they talk about like their year anniversary kind of thing, don't they? Mm. Um, but yeah, so shorter time period. And I, and I get why you might do that because it's harder to age somebody from 12 to 16, especially a boy. But yeah, it has slightly less impact, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think it loses some of the like extreme creepiness from the novel, um, novella. And also in the novella, the stories that Desanda tells him are very graphic. Ugh. And it's the sort of thing that you... You do wonder, are these true? Is this, is this? Uh, I think the horrible thing is that they probably are. Mm. You know, I know, and I know that Stephen King is a very uh, creative and imaginative writer um, because he does come up with some real fucked up shit. But I feel like this has come from something. I don't think that he's made this no. up completely. I think he's taken stories and inserted them into this this novella, novel, short story. I agree book. because I think there are going to be things that you and I can't even imagine. No, I, I couldn't on. put pen to paper and put, make up no. these stories. So I think, and that's that's kind of. I really do recommend people read the book if you if you want to have your stomach turned because some of it is pretty mm. horrific. Um, you don't see that in the film, which I can understand. It does lose a bit of impact. Um, one of the most disturbing scenes in the film. So basically, he's going around there to learn about the Holocaust, but not in a historical way. In a what awful things did you do to people way? And yeah, one of the sort of the most striking scenes in the film. It's when Todd, losing his mind, you can only imagine, goes to a costume shop, purchases an SS uniform. Who sold him that at the age of 16? Also, in, in the size to fit Sir Ian McKellen, who's yeah. like seven foot tall. Is he that tall? I think he's I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly, but... Yeah, I mean, he's... So he's at least six foot, right? Well, I think he's quite tall. I don't know. We're going to have to Google that. We'll come back to you on that. Anyway, he's not listeners. a 16-year-old boy. He's not a 16. He's so, taller than um, Brad Renfro. It's, yeah. Where's he got that from? And in a small town like that, surely... Where, who's selling it? I just don't. There are so many questions about the SS costume. Oh, I just this scene for me is so disturbing because Desander initially is really reluctant and freaked out and and yeah. angry, and then when he gets into it and he's marching, and then you know that is just you can see that hideous. Mm grin on his face it's almost like a smirk where he's clearly he's somewhere else mm. and that just that for me the portrayal of that in the film was one of the the best bits it is i think in it's the, the worst way frightening scene yeah in it and i think what it does quite cleverly is like you say he is reluctant he's like why why have you brought me this i don't want anything to do with with this so you have a degree of sympathy for him, almost. Like he doesn't he, for a moment, yeah. It's like, well, you know, maybe you know he's a he was a Nazi. I'm sure a lot of people were in those days, but oh yeah, I mean, like, you point, think about the Nazi youth, like you didn't really have much of a choice. No, I mean in some ways. So you have this element of sympathy for him. This evaporates when he starts marching, really getting into it, and mm. pulls off a um, Nazi salute and. What I want to talk to you about now, which is going to come up a few times in the film and certainly in the uh, in the book, is Todd getting turned on by this, well, by the marching. Yes. Yes, I is. think so. I mean, in the book, there is, there is a scene where he's having a dream about something yes. really fucking fucked up. Yes. And we'll bring that up at some point, I'm sure. Yes. 
where he is he is sexually aroused by these stories mm. and it's not necessarily I don't think it's anything to do with Dusander. I think it's the idea yeah. behind it I mean I mean what we could do is we could insert the audio you could listen to it and see if you're turned on because if you are switch <laughs> off this podcast <laughs> oh, shut up That's enough. Stop. Stop it! But what's interesting about that, and you you make a good point, because in the film and in the book, um, the relation with these thoughts and desires about the Nazis and evil in general I think Nazis are just a cipher for his violent urges because it's probably one of the most well known apart from a serial killer Mm. that's probably one of the most well known uh, like commonly known Mm. stories of hideous vicious twisted violence systematic violence yeah and he's got one on his doorstep which is useful Um, he's loving this but there is a scene where I mean Josh Jackson my, another favourite of mine when I was young. Fucking loving him in this. Yep. With his awful pacey witter haircut. Aww. He tells um, Todd that Becky, whoever she may be, like likes him, etc. So which is all very normal teenage behaviour. Yeah. Um, and then they're at some kind of house party, it looks like, and sitting in the car. Making she, out. She tries to basically suck him off. But why would she want to do that when there's like in front of a, like a house party? Well, I get the feeling that Becky might have uh, been quite open with her uh, activities, which is nothing to be ashamed of. No. Uh, She's a young lady of experience. She knows what she wants. Mm -hmm. And don't they start sort of trying to go at it and he can't get it up, so she's like, I'll I'll suck you off. What, in the film? Yeah. Did I make that up? Um, They seem to just be chatting, and he's like, oh, do you ever wonder why people do what they do? And she's like, no, I'm just going to suck you off. And he can't. He doesn't do anything for him. And that's the thing, like, a normal boy, I'm not trying to say, you know, that's... You know, Abnormal, but no. in this scenario... But your typical red-blooded American male is going to want that, but he can't because something is blocking it. And you get that a lot in the film. Like you say, there is a horrific kind of... Ugh. Like a wet dream, I guess, that he has. It is. It is a wet dream. And, and throughout, the, throughout the book, it's hinted at that he can only become sexually aroused when he does have sex because he has sex in the book. Yeah, I was about to bring that up actually. And he yeah. doesn't in the in the film. It's because he's imagining torturing the person he's having sex with. And the first, I think the first time in the book that, because I don't know if her name's Becky, Becky, but it's the same thing. Um, they have sex and it kind of goes all right, but it's not great. And then mm. each time it gets harder and harder for him to pretend that he likes her and not to be thinking about torture. Yeah, and very awful things. And I'm really, and I'm not going to talk about the detail of it, but his particular fantasy is fucking awful Mm. and it is if i'm thinking of the same thing very much tied to sort of race hate (laughs) the same race hate that um disander perpetrates hideous absolutely hideous Mm. i mean the the link between sex and violence is very clear in the book less so here and that's another thing that i think yeah you could have gone a bit further especially as they made him older there's a part of me that understands why they wouldn't have done but another part of me that thinks fuck it if you're gonna do this story do it don't make the film if you can't make the film horrible like the book. That's what I always say. But that scene, as, as we'll go back to, the marching, very disturbing. And when he pulls out the Nazi salute, oh. Todd realises he's lost control. Doesn't like that, does he? No, nope, not at all. And I think like I think that's the moment where they become more equal mm. in the film. And the very power much balance is, is shifted. Yeah, because DeSanders now starting to enjoy this. Mm. 
Um, and you don't see this as much in the book, but as he uh, in the film, but as um, in the book, as it develops, he gets really attached to this uniform and sleeps in it like pajamas. Mm. Like it's really creepy because he's turning back to what to enjoying it. Yeah, and I think that for Todd, that's that's scary, which is why a lot of the other things happen in the book. And because he's lost control, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so Todd starts spending more time with the old man to learn all his horrible secrets, and as a result, his grades suffer. He loses interest in his girlfriend, the aforementioned Becky, and he conceals his bad grades from his parents. So in the film, as in the book, he experiences increasingly bad dreams. In the book, it is implied that the dreams will stop through committing acts of violence. And when he does go on to do that, it is shown that he's doing that to stave off these horrific dreams that he has. What did you think of the way the dreams were portrayed in the film? I didn't really... So the only thing that we ever really got of him kind of imagining what it would be like was that scene in the showers mm. where he all of a sudden opens his eyes and he's in like concentration camp showers no well i don't think we've I, you really got any of the i think there's another like there's he one wakes more up in sweat and because he's dreaming of like the gas chamber and like a face peering out but there's not nothing nothing nothing, much more. nothing like what you get in the book which is so vividly horrific mm. like it, it is it's unbelievable yeah and i think I think some of it would be potentially quite challenging to 100% faithfully put on the screen, but I think that you could demonstrate it Yeah, better. it doesn't even need to be the same kind of dreams, but just maybe hammer home that it is having an effect on him. Yeah. And, and kind of a similar vein. And, and in the book, it's almost like he's he now has this urge that he cannot control because he is he's being really disturbed by it. He can't sleep. He's he's all like, he was almost having like a bit of a weird breakdown. Mm. And then the only way that he can release it is is by, as you said, committing acts of violence. Mm. Exactly. Um, we will come on to that. So in turn, as he is uh, blackmailing Kurt, he starts blackmailing him back to stud- into studying to restore his grades, threatening to expose the boy's subterfuge and his dalliance with Nazism to his parents. So why do you think he's like, yeah, get better grades? It's control, isn't it? Hmm. That's a And good I point. think also, to an extent, um, he starts to think of him a little like his protege, because in the book, you... And, and to some extent, this you you see that Desando can see what's inside of Todd, mm. and I think when he starts to feel more comfortable in his you know in his past, coming back to to the present, I think he wants Todd to to carry this on, and I think he's trying to nurture him into but, being into the next generation of Nazi. Well, yeah, or just a really nasty person. Yeah, um, you know, and I, and I think the stuff in the book makes that more obvious it's almost like he's grooming him yeah it Do you is, know what i mean it's quite a grooming relationship and as we discussed yeah. the the balance swings the balance of power swings rather i also think that if his parents find out that his grades are failing they're going to wonder why and it could lead back to him now he, there is a scene where he goes he's invited to dinner with his parents his parents are quite seem quite wealthy mm. kind of just they're i think really hammering that home which they they just seem like what's the word kind of like snobs yeah, a little bit sort of snobby. Um, Which feeds into his sense of entitlement that he can turn up at a stranger's door and demand Holocaust secrets. Yeah. It's that kind of, he can do whatever he wants. But in the book, doesn't he have quite a weird um, relationship with his mum where he calls her babe or something like freaky like that? I can't remember. I vaguely remember there being some kind of like, he's the favourite and she, he has a weird pet name for her and, it wouldn't and her for him. him as well. And it's just all a bit odd. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, but I think that, if he if he starts behaving differently to when he met Desander, 
it's gonna it could flag stuff up yeah it could make his parents aware it's already making his we'll come on to it but his school counselor mm-hmm. aware so i think that's another part of it for desander is that he's like if you're going to come and do this you've got to act normal while you're changing yeah. into this because otherwise you screw me over yeah, yeah i could get found out and he's somehow got away with it all these years which again we will come on to there is yeah there's another moment we've mentioned about you know the blackmailing each other and um todd said something like oh um you're fucking me like you're fucking me over or something yep. and then he says my dear boy we are fucking each other and it's just another it's there's a, a lot of sexual like sexual undertones where they there maybe mm. shouldn't be and i don't think i ever felt that in the book it no. came across a bit creepy because i don't think they are i don't think there is any like actual sexual undertones between them but there's a lot of sexual language i guess yeah and kind of connotations that i don't know if they are intentional yeah it's yeah it's a bit off, but i mean it is absolutely accurate they're fucking each other over mm. and they're both enjoying it i think to an yeah. extent the power play i mean they yeah. both want when they have control each of them is happy mm. um but yeah there's a, another like good scene which i actually think is better in the film than the book from what i can remember as we've mentioned um todd's in trouble with his grades they really slipped he was a great student before um he's top of his class i believe yep and now he's he might not even graduate i think he was due to graduate top of his class yeah yeah and now he could he could completely fail his counselor so his student counselor edward french played by david Schwimmer, with a really 80s um mustache oh god it's so bad he looked like ross when they go back to yes. like the flashbacks <laughs> when he tries to ask out rachel or whatever um writes to basically Todd's family saying they need to discuss why his grades are going so bad. And he intercepts the letter and takes it to DeSander. And he's freaking out. He's having a complete breakdown at this yeah. point, isn't he, Todd? Like, he, he has no idea what to do. He's totally terrified. Because his place in the world is under threat because he mm. has been expecting to be the golden boy and to graduate top, and now he can't concentrate. And I think they could have done more on that, again, with the dreams and mm. the fate, rather than just having one scene of him waking up in a cold sweat. A bit more about his academic life going downhill well he is invited into mr french's office and just sanders there and he's, tu- he's turned up posing as todd's grandfather i quite like the the difference in the film like you Me said too. i think it works better because the surprise is todd has to think on his feet yeah and, and i it think- puts him off kilter and again yeah. the balance of power is swung towards Desander because he's done him a favor and he's got to fall in line with whatever it is he's saying yeah and I, I actually agree with you. I think it's better in the film. Because in the in the book, basically, they come up with this idea together. But yeah, he kind of surprises him. So Mr. French, the counsellor, says basically if he gets straight A's from now until the end of term, that he will speak to his teachers and see if he can graduate. I think that's what it is, isn't it? He basically says if, yeah, if you can get straight A's in everything between now and the end of term, which is like three weeks, I will convince your teachers to uh, write off your midterm grades that's and mid-terms. give you a, an average or whatever it was, basically, he, so he can pass and graduate. Yeah. Why? Which, to be fair, is pretty fucking nice. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's been such a good student and he, oh, actually, he does say something about his um, parents arguing or something. Yeah, so I think the excuse, and this is the same in the in the book, but more uh, extrapolated on is that so DeSanto is playing Todd's grandfather on his father's side saying that his son is like playing away and having marital trouble and you know the wife drinks Mm. so it's really hard for him he's spending a lot of time with his grandfather and um, yeah that's basically the the suggestion Mm. so moving on talking about the war crimes is affecting both characters, so Todd and Mr. DeSander. And this is when you really get into the idea I'm that... I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. 
after that. <laughs> Jusander, he wasn't one of the good Nazis. No. He, he was horrible. I mean, did he become horrible from being a Nazi or did he just love the idea that he was given the power to do whatever he wanted and he ran with it? Didn't they in the book describe him as um, the butcher of Patton or something? Yeah, Patton is the name of the... Um, it's a fictional concentration camp that he was the commander of. Yeah, and I think of. they called him the butcher of Patton. Yeah, because he loved it. So that's Ugh. not gone away. Um, so there's a scene that we come on in the film where he's pissed up, sitting outside. This is just Sander. We've all been there. Um, yeah, I don't even have a garden. So he's already got one over on me. Well, he's there you a go. Nazi. Um, and there's like a local cat that comes and visits him. Gives him an idea. Motherfucker. Cat My lovers. cat just meows. Yeah, which we're leaving in. Meow. <laughs> because she knows what's coming. That's, yeah. that's crazy. The animals are always the first to know. No wonder she was so freaked out yesterday when I was watching this. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so he yeah befriends the little cat, takes the little cat inside, Aww. turns the oven on, tries to shove the cat in the oven. He fucked this up, right? If you know cats, you hold their paws down. Well, yeah, the, the paws go on the flames. It's quite horrible. Um, and luckily the cat slashes him and manages to get away. In the book, not so much. In the film, here's a nice little bit. Uh, I mean, it's not nice. He's just tried to kill a cat in the oven. Um, but after the cat escapes, he sits on the floor and then just lights his flag off the, the flame yeah. in the oven. I was like, that's, that's lovely, that. Why are you down there? Might as well. Save mm. getting up. This shows that he's got the taste for it. He's, he's remembering what it was like to kill. Now, in the books, oh, he's, he hasn't stopped killing. How many oh, hobos has he got buried, buried in his basement? Five, at least? Oh, I think at least five or six. So, it's a lot. I mean, in the book, when Todd comes into the house for the first time, he n- notices the stench, which we yeah. later find out is because he's been killing vagrants and burying them in his basement. Well, that, that happens a little bit later on, doesn't it? Because we've got the four years, so I think it's in the last couple of years um, he starts coming in and he's like, oh, fuck, it smells so bad. Oh, is it not at the beginning? No. Cut he only starts out. doing it later. But yeah, I mean, he's he's got the taste for blood cat blood whether or not that's because Todd has reawakened it because he's thinking about all these awful things that he used to do I think that's exactly what it is I think Todd has reawakened that thirst for violence Mm. in him Um, and that that turning point was the uniform and because he's older and hasn't got a uniform that anyone would respect now he has to do it to cats and homeless people poor cat I know and in the book that scene he does kill the cat Pretty fucking horrible. It is pretty horrific and disturbing. It's written very well, but very oh, awfully. Stevens. And you can just see the enjoyment that he takes from it. But he's also taking great pride in Todd's unbelievable turnaround. Uh, yeah, and this is miraculous in three weeks. That kid is... Three is... weeks is not a long time. Maybe, I think, actually, to be fair, when you're at school, that's a long time. It was, all you could do is memorise stuff, right? It's true. And also, he was good before. He just needs to stop thinking about killing Jews and thinking about actual... <laughs> Stop thinking, thinking about killing Jews. Yeah. So he goes from near dropout to straight A's in a matter of weeks. Isn't that convenient? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, we see another act of animal cruelty. Todd uses a basketball to put an injured pigeon out of its misery. Well, I think he just wants to kill it. No, I hate pigeons. Me too. But that was just too much. It was and- injured and trying to run away. Oh, it was horrible. Um, uh, and as we know, as fans of true crime and many listeners, you'll probably be familiar out there. It all starts with small animals. Cruelty to animals is a signifier of a psychopath. And the film seems to be alluding Ugh. to his escalating capacity for violence, which I think, I've put on my notes, makes the ending even more anticlimactic. Ah, yeah, in comparison actually. to the book. I hadn't thought about that. That's a very good point. It's like always building up. Yep, yeah, he's got a taste yeah, for it. You can kill an injured pigeon. Oh, just leave it there. Just, that's it. That's all that's going to happen. Don't worry about that. So yeah, I mean, it is interesting how they kind of 
link the two with the animals, but because it is, the film doesn't really go where the novel goes, you don't see it in much graphic detail, which I'm happy for. I don't need to see I'd that. I'd much rather not see it yeah. in loads of graphic detail, to be honest. Don't need to see a burning cat or no. a smashed pigeon. See Oof. enough of that living in London. Um, so now we get to the real shit. So shit goes down. Oh yeah. So one night, Jasander is coming back from wherever he's been in the evening. He's approached by a homeless guy. Weird vibes again. I'm gonna go and say that. Weird vibes. Well, he. So I think you get this a little bit in the book, but there is a bit of a can I come in for a, a drink and you know I'll do whatever you like. Maybe I'll stay the night. Can yes. you pay me for sex and give me a warm bed? Yes, I can have a shower because he's like you stink. He's like oh I can have a shower. I know, but then he's like I've seen you. I know. I know you. I know what you are. He's like what do you mean? He's like I've seen you. I know you need help with your shopping. Does he know? Because in the book, I, I think he he's knows, fine. doesn't he? I believe the homeless guy has seen him in his uniform. No, it's in the film. Is it? Mm. He sees him. I think it might be in both. Because um, in the film, I bear in mind I only watched this yesterday, so it's quite fresh in my mind. Um, <laughs> okay, he's yeah. he's in the uniform in his bedroom, which is kind of alluding to the fact that he wears it as, as his pajamas, um, and he's and he's by the window looking out, and the homeless guy is going through all of his empty recycling oh, bottles looking for extra I hooch. That? I, maybe I'm just getting it blurred in, with the um, film. So yeah, he does know. So he's alluding to that. But I mean, I've seen you wearing a Nazi uniform is a bit different to I know you're a Nazi. And surely if you know he's a Nazi, you're not going to be going fucking threatening him. Yeah, and I think in the book it's less, it's more that DeSanda just sees the opportunity to kill people that no one will miss. Yeah. And that are probably weaker than him. Well, yeah. Again, bully. Bully. So yeah, I mean, these the sexual undertones <clears throat> are there as well. He says that he could uh, come in, get get clean, get warm, do whatever. I have done this before, I think he says. <laughs> it's not my were, first time. I thought you were saying that. <laughs> I've come, if you just give me a shower and a warm bed, I'll do whatever. It's fine. No. God, listeners, don't listen to Lucy. She's and he does, nonsense. yes, he, as you say, he does say, the homeless guy, I've done this before, while Jacinda gets a knife and goes behind him. I thought Stabs. he was going to slit his throat. No, nah, just stab him in the back. And I thought, I thought he was easily survivable, throat, which is a pretty much like hundred percent dead and gone. Yeah. No, stab him in the back. I think he just got him in the kidney or something. Yeah, it was, and it's just sticking out. Hardly any of it went in either. <laughs> Didn't do a very good job, did he? To be fair, that fucking out of practice. Else as well. um, fucked it up with a cat. Yeah, fucked it up with the knife. He's shit. I am. Um, so this is a bit of a, a weird segue here, um, or kind of sidebar. Uh, so I thought that the homeless guy looked a bit like Christopher Maloney, who's in Law and Order SVU. Oh, I know who you mean. It's I not, don't even watch it, but I, know I who just you mean. checked it and it's not. But I've been sitting there going, "Is that him?" He's a bigger guy, no? He he wouldn't go down that easily. No, I don't think he would. <laughs> but it was just it took me a while, and I just had to check it before we got to this point. And I was like, "Is that that guy?" Oh God. Um. So yeah, he he stabs him, and he's sort of flailing around with just butter knife sticking out of his back it looks Fucking like ridiculous um too much excitement for desander has a heart attack oh no tragedy yep so he calls todd who comes round, finishes the job that's quite a, a creepy scene i so it doesn't happen like this in the book no it, but what does happen is the in the on the phone call um desander's like tell your parents i've had a letter from my cousin or something and i need you to read it to me which mm. leads on to a lot of other stuff and i think in the book he basically turns up to a fucking bloodbath yes and desander just like fucking collapsed on the floor i thought this was a little bit more creepy mm. in a way i mean in the book he cleans everything up <clears throat> then calls the ambulance so you've he's already got that yeah. psychopathic sociopathic 
mode on of like, no, destroy the evidence. This is creepy when he, I mean, this is his first kill. First kill of in the film. Mm-hmm. First kill of a human being, Todd. Down in the basement. The guy is like, help me, help me, with his little butter knife sticking out. Um, Wax him once. Oh, you're not strong enough. He's still moving. Wax him again. Wax him again. Manages to... Yep. The lights go out. Smashes the light bulb. It's dark. It's also red somehow. And yeah, one final whack and he's down. Digs the hole. Puts him in it. Yep. Calls the ambulance. Creepo. I mean, he. Got, I think in the film. I mean, I I've only watched it recently, but I'm getting blurred up with the the film and because the, they are but, quite similar to an extent. I think it's more the overarching. I mean, there's big differences. Calls, in this. I think in the film, he calls the ambulance for Jacinda. Then he goes back and buries the man because no one's really looking in the house. At no, this point. you are right. So in in the story, he like shuts the basement door, calls an ambulance, gets into hospital, and then comes back later that evening mm. to get rid of the evidence. Like they've cleaned up the kitchen but they've left the guy just on the floor in the basement and he comes back to bury him later yeah. that night or something like that. Okay. I think. I thought as much. Um, so as we say, in the novella, they've been killing vagrants for some time. Um, Todd and Asanda. I think it's a shame that you don't get... This is the one thing that I think the film is missing so much is Todd's descent into violence. Yeah, because this is kind of... He acts almost on impact. Like, you've got to go and sort it out. He's like, ah, okay, I will. Like, and then he kills him. He doesn't seem to be like, yeah, I really want to do this. But also neither of them know in, in the novella that the other one is doing that. So yeah. there's d- two, like, vagrants are going missing or being found murdered in two different ways, which is DeSander and Todd, but neither of them know that the other one's doing mm. it. And I think that that's a really interesting kind of unknown relationship yeah how they've influenced an, an each other link, yeah yeah I, I, I think i think you do miss that because i think at this point todd's killed like f- seven or eight yeah. bloody homeless people and that is a real signifier of you being a psychopath yeah, I mean, whereas this is just the line it could be pure adrenaline it could be panic he doesn't yeah. want to kill this man but he has to which is completely different also, I don't think he went down there with the view to killing him. No. I think he thought he was dead. And then it was self-defence, wasn't yeah. it, really? And I like, mean, I'm not I'm not giving him any No, um, but it is a, it's, it's a very different outlook in the film to the kind of the view you get of Todd in the book. So that was different. It's creepily shot, but I, I think the impact is lost. Another problem with the film, I, I do wonder what, what are they trying to say about yeah, what's this relationship? The point the end of yeah. What does this say about the, like, the relationship of evil... And the, I mean, it's called um, Summer of Corruption is the subtitle of this, um, the story. But in the film, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't meet for me. It doesn't, the two sides don't meet. Mm. No, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think you're wrong in saying that at all. I think it's, it doesn't really have an end message, does it? No. Like, what, what are you trying to say about the nature of evil? It is bad. Evil is don't evil. Don't cat. Anyway, to Sanders <clears throat> at the hospital... He's all plugged up, watching, I think it's the Jeffersons on TV. I think you could be right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. On up. And oh, there's a very inquisitive old guy. Right, I'm sorry, before we even talk about this. So we always talk about shit Stephen Keener adaptations and the kind of camp horror of them. <laughs> this fucking guy, when he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's like, that scared, oh my that God. That scared me anyway. I it, mean, it was a bit like... <clears throat> it was jumpy and I looked at his face and I was like... Is this fucking Scooby-Doo or something? Like, what is wrong with this man's face? But he is asking a lot of questions of Todd. It's nosy. And Todd was well within his rights to be like, I don't know who you are. Like, I'm. this is my alleged granddad. It's like, oh, what did you do in the war? Who are you? Stop asking questions. Yeah, who are you talking to in the middle of the night in a hospital, you lunatic old man? Don't you need man? to rest? Literally, like, the Spanish Inquisition. Ugh. 
Anyway, he's had his little questions, gets the uh, Jeffersons on, turns it up, a bit antisocial as well. And then, yeah, goes to sleep. <clears throat> Eyes come open, music jolts you. Creepy. Did you think when he looked over at DeSander, DeSander was going to be looking at yeah, him Yeah, 100% I, I thought scared. that. It didn't happen. But no, he was just fast asleep looking really old. Yeah. Which, considering this was 20 years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he does. It is weird. They've made him look a lot older. So, yeah, this is... Um, the chap in the bed is a death camp survivor yep. of Patton, the one, the, the concentration camp one. where Jacinda was commander. Very convenient. And, you know, mm. this is a, a highly recognisable guy and a very famous war criminal that's been on the, the loose for 40 odd years. And no one's ever noticed him. No one's ever... Apart from that one time in West Berlin. Well, or West Germany. That's true. Um, so in the book, do they not... Um, I think DeSander tells a story about how he used to get information out of the people in the camp, the prisoners, just called them prisoners because that's what they were, Mm. Uh, the prisoners in the camp about where they were like hiding their family jewels and things like that by taking them into his little hut and cooking really delicious smelling stew and convincing them to tell him so that they could have a bowl of gorgeous food. That is so mean. It's fucking horrible, isn't it? I mean, there are worse things that happened, but it's still pretty cruel. So manipulative. And I think... In the book, doesn't the guy that recognises him remember that story? Yes, his wife was murdered yes, at Patton. Um, and that's how he remembers. I mean, quinky dink there, but, you know, you've got to let it go. Um, it just seems funny that he could be that sort of familiar instantly. I mean, if you've gone through something like that, you would never forget the face. No. But for two people within the space of a year to recognise him when he's gone under the radar for 40 years. Duh. Bad luck, isn't it? It is bad luck. Super bad luck. Comes in threes. That guy's reaction when he runs out of the room. <laughs> You're talking about campy horror. So yeah, he, he staggers out. And even then I was like, oh my God, is he going to wake up? Is DeSander going to wake up and chase him? Because that would be quite scary. No, yeah, no. He just does a very dramatic... I mean, I know he's been through a lot, but he, he does a in- very dramatic collapse on the nurse. <laughs> oh, it was just... I didn't really know what to do with it because I wanted to laugh. But at the same time, this is a guy who's going through something really awful. Yeah. And I couldn't, but it was quite stupid. It didn't fit with the tone of the film, which has got quite a blank tone to it, I think. like Yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. There's not much emotion in it. So this histrionics didn't really fit in. So the police are called. Uh, so there's an agent from Israel come. Yeah. And he's due to be extradited to Israel to stand trial for what he's done. Which is right and proper. Well, yeah, of course. So I've said, yeah, that he's gone, been on these bus trips and no one's ever noticed him. But all he needs to do is go to hospital with another, with a death camp survivor. So Todd graduates. Meanwhile, you know, golden boy's back. He graduates as his school's valedictorian and gives a speech about Icarus. All great achievements arose from dissatisfaction. It is the desire to do better, to dig deeper, that propels a civilization to greatness. All of us have heard the story of Icarus, the young boy who took the wings his father built for him. Wings that were meant to carry him over the ocean to freedom and use them instead for a joyride. For a brief moment, Icarus felt what it was like to live as a god, to touch the sun, to soar above the common man. And for doing so, he paid the ultimate price. Boys, when it comes down to the cellar, you're not gonna believe this. Like Icarus, we too have been given gifts, knowledge, 
education, experience. And with these gifts comes the responsibility of choice. We alone decide how our talents are bestowed upon the world. This is our destiny. And we hold it in the palm of our hands. What's that got to do with anything? Well, I, maybe this is the message of the film. Because I re-listened Don't to this. Don't strive for greatness or you'll become a Nazi. Well, that, that's <laughs> me, that, I'm doing about, well then. It's more about Icarus, I think. Um, I So I re-listened to this earlier because we'd been talking about the speech and I listened to the speech again. And I think actually what you were saying about the movie's message, like maybe the message is he was a bit like Icarus. He flew too close to the sun, but then instead of getting burnt and dying, he you know, went back to earth and lived his normal life by being a good student. So maybe that's the message. Maybe that's mm. why they used Icarus. Icarus wasn't evil, though. He was just prideful. But he... I think the whole thing of, like, flying too close to the sun, getting burnt, that kind of thing, mm. maybe that's the kind of message they're trying to go for. I feel like it's clumsy, to be honest. And he is a pretty prideful little shit, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, he's a prick. Um, so this scene is juxtap- juxtaposed um, in a montage. Everybody loves a montage. Montage! <laughs> with Dasander's home being searched and the hobo's corpse being found in the basement. So, okay. guys, you won't believe this. Yeah. A Nazi's killed someone, okay. Good God, no. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Um, Todd is briefly questioned about his relationship with Jacinda. And, you know, clever boy that he is, valedictorian, manages to convince the police that he knew nothing of the old man's true identity. <laughs> yeah. How convenient, I keep saying throughout the film. Um, in the hospital, Jacinda, here's a group of neo-Nazis demonstrating outside the hospital. Yep. Sounds familiar, you know? Yeah, they're back. Never really went um, away. Worse than ever. Um, he realises his identity has been hopelessly compromised and commits suicide by giving himself an air embolism. This was... I've got to say this was genius. Yep. I'm actually quite impressed with work? Sir Ian's portrayal of this. Um, so I think if you inject air into your vein... Yeah, I've heard air bubbles are bad. They yeah, go to your brain. Yeah, that's why you flick a needle to get the air bubbles out of it. Okay. So if that catheter was in his vein, which I think it was in his central venous cavity, wasn't it? Wow. Dr. Emma, yes, I think so. I'm probably wrong, everyone. Don't judge me. Uh, oh, then, yes, in theory, it would have killed him. Uh, but, but I don't know if it would kill him that quickly. But I thought it was pretty smart. No, it was. It was good. And uh, the thing is, in the novel, novella, he sneaks medication from the hospital and kills himself. That's, yeah. that's less fun. That's less cool. It is, it is less fun. Um, also, I don't... Uh, that was slightly... In, in hindsight, it's like less believable. He's had a heart attack. He can't get out of bed. Yeah. And he's creeping around, stealing stuff from and the And he knows station. where all the, the stuff that's locked away is. Okay, yeah. Jacinda. Which is conveniently unlocked. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of convenience in this film. When Mr. French, Ross, learns that the man who met Todd at school was not Todd's grandfather, but was in fact a Nazi war criminal on the run from justice, dun, he, dun, dun. he makes the somewhat rookie decision to confront Todd at his home. And Todd blackmails him into silence by threatening to accuse him of making inappropriate sexual advances and to thereby expose him publicly as a homosexual and a paedophile. I did not like this. Yeah, you're a prick. And I don't know whether it was... There's no evidence of that anyway. Like, well, how far would that go? Like, he touched me, did he? It was just It was just too... I thought it was weak. You're so weak. It's because dumb. In the in the novella, a whole different thing happens. So I think Miss uh, French sees this while he's away on a business trip and he happens to be around the corner from where Todd's grandfather lives, mm. calls him up, goes to see him and it's not the same guy. Yeah, he meets the real... Um... And not because he's seen DeSandra on the telly. No. Well, I think Is it's a right? mixture of both. I think he um, he realises that man that he met was not Todd's grandfather and then in the news it's all Oh, uh, like... yeah, yeah. Oh, and in the film he sees it in the paper like this man has been on the, the loose for however long has finally been found. 
and realise it's it's the person that was posing as uh, Todd's grandfather in, in the meeting. Do you know what I actually felt about this? I felt like it was cheap. Yeah, it was. It him accusing it him of being a paedophile. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't, is that a sign of the times in which it was made, that that was something that people would connect with? I don't know. But I just think, what does that tell you about Todd's journey to now? So you've been consorting with Nazis, you want to know all this horrific stuff. Killed a pigeon with a basketball. Horrible. Cruel. But all that's really come out of it is you're just a bit of a little prick. And you're going to accuse, because you want to get your own way, can't we just forget about this? No, obviously not. You're going to accuse someone of that. And it's just, it it didn't fit with, okay, he's being manipulative, whatever. Again, that very prideful, arrogant, oh, I can do whatever I want. Like, yeah. I'm I'm rich. I'm from this certain family. It's incredibly arrogant. The entitlement just jumps out at you. And actually, I think in the in the in the novella, it's less arrogance and more just twistedness. Yeah, I mean, Does that in, make sense? in the novella, he takes his um, father's shooting rifle, hunt shooting rifle. Yes, shooting, you, you shooting shoot with them. His uh, hunting rifle shoots Mr. French and then goes to a spot above the highway where he likes to hang out and starts picking off uh, drivers. And there's a five-hour standoff and he dies. Which is more in keeping with you yes. consorting with a Nazi because you're actually evil than, oh, I'm going to attempt to blackmail my guidance counsellor. It was weak. It was weak. And I think the last, kind of, what is this, an hour and 50 this film, I think the last half an hour, 40 minutes was weaker than it could have been. Mm. And there are so many things that you could have done with this that would have made it so much better, like being faithful to the... Mm. Because, all, I mean... To the book. In the book, you really get the sense, well, much more so than in the film, that Todd's evil was always there, and that's what made him seek out, you know, a Nazi. Well, yeah, because DeSantis has been sitting there for 30, 40 years, just mm. hiding away, not murdering cats and hobos. Exactly. Uh, it was only when Todd turns up, and I think they find a kinship in a very uneasy power play. Because they've got similar views on humanity. And and traits, I think, innate traits. And that, that idea of, you know, if you have, back in Germany in the 40s, if you had it, or 30s and 40s, if you had a Nazi uniform, do what you want to anyone. Yep. It's fine. Total control. Absolute sort of blasé, do what you like. The arrogance of Todd is that he can do something similar, whereas I think in the film, he has this morbid interest in the Holocaust, and the more he learns about it, it turns him bad. But I think in the the book, he's bad, and that's why he wants to learn about it. Yeah, I mean, it's very much an innate evilness in him rather than a nurtured evilness brought out exactly yeah it, it's almost a nature versus nurture thing in the film it's it's nurtured and then as soon as Desander goes away he goes back to his lovely little privileged life exactly and he just wants it to be over which is why he threatens um, Mr French rather than killing him yeah so then it's over and he, presumably he does not it's just, just like a, goes a summer of uh, madness of just like sort of you know he had a year of being a bit off the rails and yeah, now he's sorted himself dabbling out. in being a Nazi now he's over fad watch yeah. Yeah, so I thought it was a bit of a weak um, ending. I, the thing I loved most, this is going to sound really weird, the thing I loved the most in the book was Todd's descent into psychopathy. Mm. So and we've not really talked in a huge amount of detail about it. Like the first time he kills a guy, he's not sure about it and then he can't stop himself. And there's this lovely sort of, lovely. Yes, I mean, you know. You find it lovely, each to their own. There's this well-crafted like sub-story for each of them that mirrors the other where they're descending into this... It basically, they're serial killing mm. um, without knowing that the other is doing the same thing with a different MO. And I think that ending in the book where, you know, and, and this kind of, this 
this hill top where he goes on top of the highway and he's been sitting there for ages like pretending to pick out drivers but not actually doing it mm. finally ending up and having that as the culmination of the story I thought was amazing yeah. I lo- the ending of it is the most shocking for me and as you say they set each other off on these paths their meeting yeah makes each of them go off and, and do that. But they all had it in them anyway. Yeah, Whereas I think Todd... in the film, you don't get that whatsoever. Todd 100% had it in him in the book. And I think it would have come out one way or the other. But he found... If he hadn't have found Desandre, he'd have yeah. found somebody else to help nurture exactly. it. Exactly. He always had that attraction to it. Whereas it, this is, as we said, it seems more that it's bringing something out of him rather than it always having been there. Yeah, and actually, the more that we talk about this, the more I realise how much better the novella is. I mean, I know I said it was, but it really is so yeah. much better. It's so much more well done. It's such a rich set of source material. It's a bit of a missed opportunity. But I think, you know, mm. it's 20 years old, the film. It's, I think it's aged pretty well, though. Yeah, it is. As and a standalone, I, think, I enjoyed it. Again, good performances, which you don't always get in Stephen King adaptations. No. So, yeah, that's basically it for the plot synopsis so we do have a few little king corner obviously we've gone through the diff- the main differences in the f- in the film from the book do you think of any others can you think of any others um anything important no i don't, I don't actually think that there's anything we've massively that we've missed apart it's from mainly the, fact the that ending it's the murdery stuff isn't it throughout mm. the gun no i think that's pretty much it yeah, I think we've, we've covered the main ones. So what I'm going to do instead of King Corner, because we've covered that basically within the body of the podcast, is go through some of the Easter eggs that there are in the book, not in the film. These are in the book. So Kurt Jessander remembers using a bank in the state of Maine to purchase stocks under an assumed name. And he goes on to say that the banker who bought them for Jessander went to jail for murdering his wife a year after he purchased them. I'd forgotten about that. That was such a good Easter egg, especially in that collection. Yeah. And he even references Andy Dufresne by name. He remembers the name because it sounds a little like mine. And obviously, as we know, central character in Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, which is the novella preceding at pupil in different yes. seasons. That's I've, a good one. I'd forgotten about that one. That's one of my faves, actually. Would have been nice if it was in the film, but I understand why they didn't. And there's another one. When confronting Todd about his murders, which, again, are not in the film, Tassanda mentions a serial killer named spring Jack, and this killer is the focus of Strawberry Spring, which is a short mm. story published in the King Collection Night Shift, 1978. spring Jack is also an unsolved serial killer from London in the uh, Victorian 1900s. Era. Yes. Yeah fascinating if anyone wants to look that one up he Why jumped they always call it, yeah and blew fire at people and yeah them. i think he was like i was i'll describe him as like a steampunk kind of guy but like an inventor that also had yes, a murderous streak i think so but i don't yeah. know if he actually killed anyone he just attacked people like clawed them with his claws i think he did kill a couple tune of in for spring hill jack critical and we'll, we'll investigate <laughs> and solve Serial this real killer critical <laughs> solve this crime um so the last one is uh, guidance counsellor Ed French, so Ross from Friends, mentions his hotel room is number 217 while he's on his business trip, which you mentioned, um, which is the same as the famous Overlook Hotel room in The Shining. Oh, I did not notice that. And furthermore, in The Shining, Jack Torrance is working on a play that includes a character named Denka, which is the same name as Jacinda's alter ego. And this has led some fans to speculate that at pupil is Torrance's play. Oh. Because in the afterword to different seasons, King mentions having written at pupil immediately after The Shining. That's really interesting. And there are some scenes, like some of the dream scenes, that remind me of some of the things that are seen in the rooms, like the the little lady, just the way it's written. That's really interesting. It is. I think it's always interesting to find out what works, what the order of the works that Stephen King wrote. It is. And I I think one of the things I found so interesting about reading different seasons was the 
kind of epilogue at the end that says, well, this is when I wrote this one, this is when I wrote that, and kind of needing to move away from something and have something mm. short. And I, th- I thought that was really fascinating. But they're, re- they're really good Easter eggs, Lise. Thank I like you. Them. Yeah, not bad. Um, so that's it for this episode. Lots of food for thought with this film. However imperfect it is, it's certainly one of the better adaptations. Oh, yeah, 100%. Of King's more interesting short stories. Definitely. I think it's, it's also a really interesting one to talk about because there are some quite difficult topics. And although it's quite faithful, some of the major differences really have an impact on how it lands, I think, on screen. And that's the thing. They've obviously wanted to do the adaptation. And we haven't spoken about it, but there was attempts to adapt this numerous times and they all like never came to fruition because it was just deemed, I didn't know that there were various problems but I think generally it's, it's, it was difficult to adapt it it's a challenging subject as yeah. well because I mean some of the stuff in this and you know we didn't talk about it in detail but that dream scene that kind of wet dream scene in the book is one of the most disturbing things I've ever read in my yeah, life yeah I mean I've, I read this however long ago and I've never forgotten it because no. it's that horrible and oh, I guess also we're used to seeing films if they're about the Second World War and Holocaust with Nazis painted firmly as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And as much as we would read this and and know that everyone in it is evil, the main character doesn't see it like that. So you are looking at it through the eyes of someone that is sympathetic to the and Nazis. And you also, I think, when you're reading the novella, you, you forget a little bit about it sometimes because mm. you're just reading the story of Todd and Dussander yeah. rather than the Nazi and the crazy kid. There are moments where you kind of go, oh, fuck, yeah, of course he's a lunatic. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> But that they could have done better with the adaptation with those things. And I do wonder if one day we'll see it re-adapted. Maybe still with Sirian as a Desander, because he did a great job in the role. Yeah, he did. Certainly, well done, both of them. Yes, round of applause. Um, so if you've seen the film or read the book or both, please do get in touch and let us know what you thought. So next time, drum roll, we will be discussing the Netflix adaptation of Gerald's Game. Woo! I'm looking forward to this. Decent film. Um, so once again, I'd like to thank Emma for joining me. You're welcome. Thank, thank you for hosting. And all of you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.